welcome to the Less Doing Podcast. Less Doing, more living, more living, more living, more living. Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. So I'm sitting here in the middle of, I almost said tropical storm, winter storm Jonas, or uh, Jonas, if you're into homeland. And it is bad. I have to say, there's like police roaming the streets. Like, uh, there's a state of emergency. You're not allowed to be on the streets uh, in a car. People are walking down the middle of the street. It's crazy. But it seems like the snow has stopped. So today was an interesting day in terms of productivity. My kids were bouncing off the walls basically because I think they were going a little stir crazy. But here we are. Welcome back to episode 202 of the Less Doing Podcast. And I'm your host, Ari Mizell. Let's get the show on the road. Today, I interviewed Mike Goldman of Performance Breakthrough, and I have a bunch of links to share with you. There have been some really cool developments going on in the less doing world. The less doing assistance is still going really well. We're doing great projects for a lot of clients, and it's really been an interesting experiment in constant optimization. And I always say this when I give talks that I've outsourced thousands and thousands of things and I, I outsource hundreds of things on a regular, on a weekly basis, but I'm always trying to do everything I can to avoid outsourcing. I always want to automate anything that I can, optimize anything, because I want to remove that human element to make things more reliable, more scalable, and really, to me, the human resource is something that should be protected and only used for what it absolutely needs to be. And I think that that makes everybody happier, honestly. So anyway, it's just been a really interesting experiment. We're, we're always trying to tweak everything we can in the processes, even to get a three-second savings if we can, if that will cause us some sort of, we don't have to change, basically, to, to do something. So, But the thing that's evolved out of it is something that I was sort of doing for a while with less doing, but now there is much bigger structure to it. And that is what we're calling less doing BPO basically, or business process optimization. So what we'll do, and when I say we, I mean me and Nick, my partner in the less doing assistance, we will go into a business and we'll completely revolutionize the way that they communicate, deal with project management. And essentially what we're trying to do is shorten the gap between an idea and execution. And it's been extremely gratifying work. And I think that this is a, a really main area of focus for us. And, and the impact that we're having on business is incredible because not only does it have the potential for lowering costs and increasing revenues, but it, it really allows people to take advantage of more business opportunities than they could before because they have proper systems in place. So in some ways, it's like we're an on-demand COO and it's great. So if you want to find out more about that, you can always get in touch with me or Nick uh, by sending an email to va at lessdoists.com or you can tweet me at Ari Mizell, anything you want just to, to talk about how we might be able to optimize your business in one way or another. So the first link that I want to share is called the smart rope. And this is a very basic idea, but it's, 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 you have these situations where companies or, or people throw an enormous amount of technology into something that doesn't necessarily need technology. But I have to say, I really like this. Um, so it's a jump rope. Okay. So a jump rope is one of those things that you can make a jump rope with a piece of rope and a couple pieces of wood for handles if you want. But throwing a whole bunch of technology into it is kind of an interesting place. So 
the smart rope does a couple things. One is that it can track the number of revolutions that you've done. It'll, it'll count complete jumps, and there's an app that goes along with it. But in addition, something that does really cool is that it has 23 LEDs embedded in the rope, so it will display your stats in midair in front of you while you're working out. So how cool is that? It'll show you how many times you've jumped, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's really cool. It's like making a, a treadmill version of a jump rope. A jump rope, by the way, is a fantastic workout. Anybody who's boxed or done any conditioning work with it knows that the jump rope is hard, and it's a great workout. And for people who are really good at it, you kind of take it for granted that other people are not necessarily good at it. It's something that you can get really, really good at, and it can be one of the best workouts, and all it is is throwing a little rope in your bag. So check out the smart rope. You're interested. It's also not that expensive. It's $89, which is really not that expensive considering what this is. The next thing people are going to love is called Mummo. And I know that uh, actually this is a, a, a tip of the hat to my co-host at large, Felix Bird. Mummo dumps your parents' tech problems in someone else's lap. So basically, if you have a mother or father who are not that tech savvy and they're always calling you saying, hey, how do I print this out or how do I install this driver? Well, now you can send a text to Mummo and you give the name of the postal code for the, the customer that you need help with. And they will find a local helper to solve the problem. And this is not like hardcore IT issues. This is really like upgrading to a new version of an OS, for example. So pretty cool. Um, It's a good thing. Obviously, there's a need for it. I'm sure many of you listening have experienced this where you are the go-to tech person for your family and you don't need to be anymore. Free up your time. So there's an article over at Barking Up the Wrong Tree, which is, as you all know, my favorite, favorite website. And it's all about how to be creative. So the number one thing they say, there's there's several things, but the number one thing is to be open to new experiences. Basically, try new things all the time. And it doesn't have to be huge things like bungee jumping naked um, or bungee jumping at all. But they said even like, what are you ordering for lunch today? Really? Don't get that. You always get that. So try something new. Uh, just recently, I'm pretty excited about this actually. Literally since I was in high school, I've been wanting to get this padlock. It's a training device to teach you how to pick the lock of a padlock. It's made in clear lucite, and you can see all the tumblers and everything. And I got one, finally, because it was like $7 on some website I found, and I got it last week, and I played around with it. In about 10 minutes, I was able to open the lock in under 10 seconds, and 20 minutes later, I was able to do it with my eyes closed. And this is amazing, okay, because I don't necessarily want to be a lock picker, but it's a skill set that I've never had before, and I think it's really cool, and it's just interesting to sort of bend your mind in a different way like that. And the hand-eye coordination that's involved is a whole bunch of things. So... It's a new skill. And, you know, is there a measurable way to see if that made me more creative? No, probably not. But I have to say that I'm now producing regular content for like seven or eight different outlets. I've got the boot camp. I've got my newsletter. And by the way, if you're not signed up for the Less Doing newsletter, please go over to lessdoing.com, put your email address there. And if you're out and about somewhere, you can text the word do less to 33733 and get on the newsletter. And among other things, the newsletter has now this exclusive video that I just do for the newsletter. So there's that. There's the virtual assistant training video I do every week. There is a coaching training video I do every week and then the newsletter for the virtual assistants as well. So I, I'm like, I'm producing like eight or nine different videos every week now and coming up with the content used to be really difficult, but now it's coming a lot more frequently and I'm, I almost have an abundance. So it's, it's great. So open yourself up to new experiences, try new things, even if that means a different kind of sandwich. I found a website called Trip Delta 
which as far as I can tell, basically guarantees to get you the cheapest flight possible. And it's going to beat things like Kayak and Hipmunk for some really interesting reasons. It doesn't necessarily provide you with the most convenient flight. So let's just put it that way. It will give you absolutely the cheapest flight. So like an example they gave is that if you're going to fly from San Francisco to London, if you go Oakland to LAX and then LAX to London, you save like $180 or something. So maybe that's not worth it for you to have to do that connecting flight and be annoyed by that. But maybe it is. If you really want the cheapest flight, absolutely cheapest flight, then this website seems to show you how to do that. In fact, I just looked just for the fun of it. I was supposed to go to West Palm Beach tomorrow for the day for a consultation. And because of this winter storm, Jonas, it got canceled. So I was just looking at tomorrow's flight and Trip Delta is showing a flight that's $62 cheaper than what I found on Kayak and on Hipmunk. So pretty cool, Trip Delta. Okay, and the last article I want to share for today is over at the website. I <laughs> this is an ex- this is an explicit podcast, but I try not to curse if I don't have to. So it's I effing love science. So iflscience.com, which is actually a really legitimate science website. I really like it. And basically, it says total recall sounds great, but some things should be forgotten. So at less doing, I'm always trying to get people to create an external brain so that we can keep track of everything. And I don't want that to be confused with. Some of the and what they refer to in this article is is DARPA, which is Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. It's basically like the Q division from James Bond for the American military that they're working on implantable devices that can help restore memories and help it so you can remember everything. And what they're saying is that they're the purpose of the brain that there there are certain things that should be forgotten. And I couldn't agree with this more. You want to be using your brain for what your brain is really good at, which is coming up with new ideas. Our brains are naturally creative. We're natural problem solvers. We want to fix things. We want to make things happen. Memories are a little bit of work. And the truth is that what people don't seem to realize, a lot of people don't realize, is that memories are not just simply stored in your head somewhere. They're constantly being refreshed and pieced together by different bits of information that you're taking on. So what we think is a memory can be completely inaccurate. And the more often that you repeat that fake memory, it becomes more real. So in some ways, and, and you know, I don't want to get too philosophical here. I mean, our memories are a big part of who we are, but to some extent, the memories are not really that useful. So it's true. There are certain things that should be forgotten. Total recall is not necessarily a skill set or a, a superpower that you want to have. Anyway, so the last thing I just want to tell you guys before we get to the interview is that we are doing a two-day intensive workshop here in New York City on March 10th and 11th. Joe Polish will be there as a speaker. And then Nick and I are going to be running a, basically, it's not a boot camp, it's, a, it's an intensive. The first day is going to be all about outsourcing and optimization and automation in your business, so the, the BPO stuff. And the second day is going to be all about implementation. Now, there's only 20 seats and some very, very high-level individuals. It is a $5,000 ticket, and I think we have eight spots left. So if you're interested, you should go to lessdoing.com slash workshop and check it out. And that's all for this week. So enjoy the interview with Mike and have an awesome and productive week. The Less Doing Podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life so you can start doing the things you really want to do again. What would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. 
And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. And that is how less doing was born. Less doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, we've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my Less Doing Certified Coaches. I've trained each one of them myself, and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the interview. So now I'm speaking with Mike Goldman, who is the author of Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passionate Organizations. Uh, he's also a Gazelles coach, and he's got a really interesting story. So Mike, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Ari, thanks for having me. So, uh, first of all, let's talk about a little bit of your background. You know, you don't have to go all the way back, but you've done quite a bit of very high-level consulting in your career. Yeah, I actually started out the better part of the first 17 years of my career, and I'm, I'm 50, just so you could put that in perspective. Uh, first 17 years of my career was really about me doing consulting for, for Fortune 500 uh, country, uh, companies uh, all over the country, uh, and that was about uh, 10 years ago that I shifted focus, really st started my own business and started focusing on more uh, small and mid-sized companies. But I've really been coaching and consulting uh, just about my whole professional life. And then how'd you get into Gazelles? Well, I, I had been doing, you know, I've been a coach. Uh, uh, actually, I'm sorry, Mike, can, for some people who don't know, can you just tell them what Gazelles is? Too? Oh, sure. Yeah, Gazelles is actually an organization. There's a gentleman named Vern Harnish who uh, a number of years ago wrote a book called Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. <clears throat> he just wrote an update to that called Scaling Up, which is kind of a Rockefeller Habits 2.0. Uh, from that uh, kind of spawned a, an organization called Gazelles, which provides uh, uh, coaching and tools tools and consulting for small and mid-market companies that are frustrated that they're not growing quick enough, they're not growing consistently enough, they're not growing profitably enough. Uh, there are about uh, 150 uh, certified coaches like me throughout throughout the world. So that's what Gazelles is all about. And, and the way I kind of got turned on to Gazelles is I had been a coach for, uh, for about five or six years, uh, had really gotten to the point that I wanted to take uh, the next step in helping my clients and 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 the tools I, I was using, uh, I really didn't feel like uh, what would get me there. Stumbled across uh, Rockefeller Habits. Uh, I'm a big reader, uh, so uh, read that book and said, "Wow, this is great stuff. This is where I really want to focus." So the last uh, bunch of years, I've really been focused on uh, those tools and seeing some incredible results with my clients. Great. So now. How how did performance breakthroughs come about? I mean, it's almost obvious you've had so much experience with this, but what was the impetus for creating the book and coming up with this? Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting story. The book the book is told in the form of a story. 
Uh, and uh, I've been told, wow, Mike, that story sounds, you know, almost real. Uh, and it's because it is, because the story is, is semi-autobiographical. I won't, I won't say it's autobiographical. But the, uh, the book is about a business owner and a father who has a son with something called Asperger's syndrome. And, it, and it's all about how he learns things from his child's therapist that hell actually he's able to take back and and use to help him build his business and and that's semi-autobiographical in that i did have a a business uh, before i started coaching i had a staffing and recruiting firm for about three years that was not doing well um i have a son with asperger's syndrome went to see a uh, a pretty famous uh, therapist who had written a book about how to raise resilient children and everything he was talking about was exactly what i was talking to clients about when i was out doing some public speaking I was doing. So that gave me the idea for the book to take that idea of, hey, what, what works for uh, for a problem kid uh, is exactly what works in, in growing your business. So that's that that was the seed of the idea to write the book. You know, the other the other reason I wrote the book is is in all my consulting and I started out, you know, years ago with Fortune 500 companies doing a lot of implementing new processes and implementing new systems. And, and what I found over and over again is is it was the same people that were executing the processes, executing the systems, and therefore they weren't getting the value. So I really, you know, I realized what 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 uh, you know Peter Drucker said a long time ago, or at least the quote was attributed to him: uh, "Culture eats strategy for lunch." Uh, and really started focusing on uh, people in a big way, and and initially did a lot of leadership development and stuff like that, and uh, you know now focused on the gazelles tools. It's about you know people. It's about execution. It's about strategy. It's about cash flow. But but the biggest challenge I see for companies is finding, keeping, leveraging a players, uh, and that's what the book is really all about: is how to how to have a passionate organization that would would allow you to find those a players, keep them and leverage them. Okay, so I have a question for you that's going to seem like it's out of left field, but you may be familiar with this already. And even if you're not, I think you'll have an interesting take on it. So are you familiar with the company Kongumi by any chance? I, I am not. Okay. Yeah, okay. So Kongumi is the, it, it was the oldest company in the world. It's a, it was over 1400 years old as a Japanese company that started in the uh, 600, the, you know, the seventh century, uh, building temples, Shinto temples. And it continued for 40 generations as a construction company uh, until in 2006, it went bankrupt. And wow. yeah, so, <laughs> and I posted this in one of my group coaching platforms the other day, and I, I, I didn't get quite the discussion out of it that I was hoping for. But my immediate thought about that was two things. One, what does it take to create a sustainable culture and leadership that lasts, you know, over a millennia? <laughs> and then the <laughs> other thing is, is what do you do as a leader or the CEO or the president of that company when it goes bankrupt after 40 generations? Yeah, that's. I'm thinking, what the hell went wrong after 40 generations? Oh my God! And how bad must those people have felt? But but for me, you know, I think it really it really does become about creating a sustainable culture, because if you've got and I'll talk and I'll I'll dig into that a little bit. But if you've got a sustainable culture, you've got the right people who are behaving in the right ways, even if you've got the wrong strategy, you're going to find a way through it. 
If, if you, uh, you know, if, if the market turns, you're going to find a way through it. But if you've got a great strategy and the, and the market's great, but you don't have good people, you don't have a great culture, uh, you're, you're not getting anywhere. You know, you're going to fail. So, so I think being a sustainable company is about having a sustainable culture. And I think that really starts with defining what you want that culture to look like. And, and most companies don't do that. Every, every company has a culture. Every company has a set of core values. They may not have taken the time to define what those core values are, so they just kind of evolve however they're going to evolve, but they're there. So I think to create a sustainable culture, you've got to define what are those core values, what are the non-negotiable behaviors within your company, what are those things where even if someone's performing at a high level, if they're not living up to the core values, they're, they're gone. You know, what are those non-negotiables? And it's about defining those. It's about when you're hiring, looking for those values, when you're evaluating folks, evaluating, not just based on productivity, but based on those values, because those values really become your personality as an organization. So I think you had two parts of the question. I may just be hitting one of them, uh, and I don't remember the second one, but, but I think it is really about creating that sustainable culture, and it starts with defining what those non-negotiable behaviors are. No, and, and I think that is a, 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 that is a good answer to it. I mean, and, 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 but can you, and obviously it's completely specific to the company, but could you give an example of what you would consider to be a good non-negotiable behavior? And obviously, you know, we're not talking about things like sexual harassment and stuff like that. Like, sure. what, what do you think is a non-negotiable behavior? Yeah, well, I, I'll, t I'll tell you what mine are, right? Because it's different for every company. Every company, just like every person, has got its own attitude, its own, its own personality, its own non-negotiable behaviors. So I work with each of my clients. One of the first things we do is we do something that Jim Collins created years ago called the Mission to Mars exercise to, to figure out what those core values are but just to give you an example uh, I've got my core values right up in the wall you know on the wall over my desk I'm looking at now and even though I'm a, I'm a company of one those core values are important to me and I, I'll just I'll pick a couple one of them is uh, is continuous learning and it's about continuously learning so and and not only continuously learning myself so that I can help my clients but instilling that in my clients i always tell my clients uh, that you know you've got to be learning and growing along with me or this isn't going to work in fact i saw you Ari, speak at a, a leader a fortune leadership summit sponsored by fortune and gazelles uh, probably a year and a half ago and I had some clients there watching you speak because part of my agreement with my clients is if they're going to work with me, they've got to go to that summit because I need them learning. So, so continuous learning is one for me. Uh, that's a great other, Well, That's a really, really good one, I have to say. Yeah. And, and now, does that work for every organization? Well, it sounds like it might, but, but every organization has really got to have its own. It's not, it's not here's some generic set of core values and, you know, and, and it's going to work for everybody. It, you know, it's going to depend. But these are things, you know, one of the, the there, there are three tests that, that I do on my clients' core values once they create it. Or sometimes I come in and they say, oh, we've got our core values. And they go and pull a plaque off the wall. Uh, and the first thing I do is I turn that plaque around and I ask the leadership team, now tell me what the core values are. And if they stumble around, I know they're not core values. But even if they know what they are, they've got to pass three tests. And the first test is, are you committed to firing anyone for blatantly and repeatedly violating a core value? 
And if they say, well, our core value is, one of our core values is respect. But we have this salesperson who's our number one salesperson, uh, but they don't respect anybody. They're cursing people out. They're a pain in the ass. But you know what? They're our number one salesperson, so we're not getting rid of them. Well, either you've got to get rid of that person because they're a cancer in the organization because they're not living your core value, or respect is not really a core value. So, so you got it. They're non-negotiable. So you got to be committed to firing anyone who's violating that core value continuously. Second test is you've got to. You, are you willing to take a financial hit in order to uphold that core value? And an example of that is, you know, maybe there's a client that's showing you lack of respect. Should you be firing that client even though you're taking a, a financial hit? And then, and then the third one is, is that core value alive in the organization today? Because core values shouldn't be aspirational. Core values are about kind of what's best, what's right, what's most noble about your culture. And if you've got a core value and it doesn't exist in your culture at all, then it's not really a core value. So those are those are three pretty uh, uh, three critical tests, three tests that are pretty hard to pass uh, for most to make sure you've got the right core values, and it's just not pretty words up on a plaque. Yeah, I, that's, I love that. And, you know, for me, one of the things that's a non-negotiable in organizations that I've helped create is that is uh, the, the Kanban principles or Kanban, depending on how you how you basically uh, uh, how you pronounce it. But, you know, it's constant improvement. Right. And in every way, at every level of organization. So that's that, that's great. I love the, the constant learning one, too. So, uh, Mike, the four breakthrough principles, right? So can you tell us about one of them? Yeah, I guess the, the one I'll pick is the second secret, which I call leverage. And leverage is really about uh, not beating yourself up and others up for their weaknesses. It's really about discovering and leveraging your passions, your strengths, your pe- your team's passions, your people's strengths. Uh, and, you know, one of the questions I typically ask folks is, is I say, you know, when you hear the word well-rounded, does that sound positive to you or negative? What what perception do you have of that word? And most people say, well, it's good to have well-rounded people, so so it's a good thing. And what I tell them is, and I show them an example of, of you know, an employee that's doing, you know, has natural talent in, in this one area. Here they're mediocre. In this other area, they have no talent, no passion. Uh, you know, what do people typically work on to make them, quote, unquote, well-rounded is they work on that weakness. And that weakness, 99% of the time, is never going to become a strength. At best, they're going to approach mediocre. They're also going to be pretty miserable while you're doing that. Their strength, because you're not really focused there, is probably going to start to decrease. Their performance will decrease and approach mediocre. You wind up with a mediocre employee when you when you try and get well-rounded. So I tell people, I want I don't want well-rounded employees. I want a well-rounded team. To me, a well-rounded team means if you've got five things that are critical that have to happen in your organization, I better have at least one person on my team that is just a superstar at you know each one of those. So when I look at my team, I've got superstars in every area. But I want each individual to really be focused on their strengths, leverage time on things they're passionate about, that they love to do. You know, and as a leader, I ask people, who are you spending more time with? Are you spending more time with your A players, your B players, or your C players? And most say they're C players, which is exactly the opposite of what you want because your A players, uh, and this is, uh, you know, a misconception. People think C players have the most room for growth because they're C players, but it's actually your A players that have, have the most potential for improvement 
the sky's the limit on those folks. So if you're spending too much time with your C players, A, it means you're spending time with the wrong people. B, it means you've probably got too many damn C players. Why are you keeping them around? Yeah, and I mean, of course, that, that makes sense to me that the you know the A players basically are the ones with the the, the most motivation too to to want to improve as well. They've got motivation, and, and and you know, I read a great book recently, and and just saw the guy speak, Kip Tyndall, who's the CEO of the Container Store, wrote a book called Uncontainable, and and he's got all these principles he's been using to make Container Store as successful as it is, and the first one he calls one equals three, and one equals three means one exceptional performer equals three mediocre performers. And I just love the, the simplicity of that. And, and if you believe that, and I believe that, you know, in spades, uh, it really focuses you on finding the right people, leveraging their strengths, uh, and, and really getting, you know, way more product productivity out of, out of a lower number of people. And then as a CEO, now that you've got people you could rely on, you've got more freedom. You've got more happiness as a business owner to run your business because you've got these great folks working for you. Yeah, and that's just awesome. So, so Mike, okay, well, thank you so much for this. So, you know, to, um, I'm going to have links to everything in the show notes, but of course, please tell people where they can find out more about you and, of course, get the book. Yeah, absolutely. You could find out more about me on performance-breakthrough.com. That's performance-breakthrough.com. Uh, you could buy my book, uh, uh, performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passionate Organizations. You can buy that out on Amazon. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's also some some assessments, uh, something called a Four Decisions Assessment. That's out on my website. Um, and if anybody wants to uh, call me about me potentially coming in and helping their organization scale, my number is 201 301 2841. Well, Mike, thank you. It's very generous of you to offer that. And thanks for, uh, for being on the show. Thanks, Ari. It was fun. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com, where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we'd love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell, and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.